podcraft. This episode is sponsored by Still Point Wellness. I love Still Point Wellness. I love the staff. I love their services. They offer a very unique spa experience in Asheville. All of their services are designed to help you unplug from the stresses of today's modern world. And boy, do we all need that. They do it through services like saltwater flotation, also known as sensory deprivation, the world-renowned Esalen massage, cranial sacral therapy, and somatic psychology. They are locally owned and operated by my dear friends, Corey Costanzo and Robin Fan Costanzo. Corey is a somatic therapist and he teaches mindfulness meditation courses. And Robin is an internationally renowned massage instructor who was actually inducted into the Massage World Hall of Fame. Their highly skilled massage staff have each trained under Robin and each earned full certification to practice Esalen Massage. I love Esalen Massage. I know it. I'm an Esalen Massage practitioner. It is a fantastic massage. Together, Corey and Robin have created a world-class experience in understanding the mind-body connection through deep relaxation. So contact them at stillpointwell.com or call 828-348-5372. And don't forget to mention discount code PREPO to get 10% off your first float and first Esalen massage. I really believe that you're going to love the experience. Welcome, everybody, to the podcast, Relationships. Let's talk about it. I'm Prebo Toplitsky. I'm a psychotherapist specializing in relationship issues. Everybody's got one. Partners, family, friends, coworkers, neighbors, relationships. Let's talk about it. I have a few questions for you. Do you avoid confronting people? Would you like to understand the nature of confronting people and also then how it becomes a growth experience between you both? Well, then listen on to this conversation between myself and an old friend and colleague, Angela Porter. Angela has been working with people in the mental health field for over 25 years, specializing in in addiction issues. She's also an international BREMA instructor, BREMA bodywork instructor. She has her own private practice in San Rafael and Oakland, California. Our friendship goes back over 25 years. We met at Esalen Institute, which we talk about, that Human Potential Learning Center. And she was actually not only in my two-month theater improv workshop, but she was also in charge of grounds where I worked. I was in charge of lawn mowing. I went from a corporate job, a six-figure corporate job, to in charge of lawn mowing in in beautiful Big Sur, Esalen, California. As you can imagine, her being my boss, we had some moments of opportunities for confrontation, which were really enriching. So we talk about various ways to confront people, including ourselves, in a manner that is kind and yet clear. We also talk about expectations in a relationship and how the need for confronting people's truths 
play into those expectations. And the underlying desire for connection and transcendence in every relationship and how that need is only fulfilled by the presence of truth. I tell some stories like I do of my personal experience where I confronted someone very near and dear to me with a powerful truth resulting in a very positive outcome. And Angela also walks people through the sense of discomfort that comes with confrontation. So, enjoy this episode of The Nature of Confronting People. So, welcome everybody. I'm so excited to speak with my dear friend Angela Porter, who I have known for over 24 years. We met at Esalen Institute, a human potential learning center. Back in 1994, we were in the same two-month theater improv workshop, and we were in the same uh, work group, and we had a lot of long talks, a lot of deep stuff that we would just contemplate and surf the world of solving the world issues just through our conversation. So we get to do that a little bit here on this podcast. And we were talking earlier, Angela being a a therapist herself, two therapists kind of talking about ways to confront people, confrontations that people want to avoid because conflict resolution and so forth, that it goes roundabout, but not really knowing how to confront in a cutting way that's kind that's authentic, that's clear with the purpose of actually bringing the other person closer to you so your relationship gets even deeper and more authentic. So Angela used to do that to me a lot, and I loved it, (laughs) even though it was challenging. So we're going to speak to that about. So confronting people, where do you want to go with that? What immediately comes to my mind is really actually how I've done it so badly so much of the time, and I'm actually... (laughs) (laughs) It was actually a little surprising for me to hear you say that that's what you really wanted to talk about and that you really benefited from a lot of the ways that I confronted you early in our friendship and and I would say maybe challenged you and that that was just telling you telling you the truth of what I saw and but I always felt like there was an invitation for that. I mean you're a pretty receptive person. I always felt that you had in the confrontation you had not only just my best interest at heart in many ways, you had our relationship best interest. You weren't just confronting me to be one up or to be right. And you did it in your own demeanor of of searching for like truth. Mm. So I think, you know, however your experience of confronting, you know, the times where it didn't go well, even when we teased the aspect when you would think or say, man, you're just full of it. Mm-hmm. And the way that you did it, the background that I also knew that our relationship was, was you were asking me to stand up in in more truth, to like meet you in a more authentic way. Mm. What I'm remembering as you say that, I think is one of the first times, and I really, I'm I'm gonna tell this story because I think it really is what underlines why we're having this conversation, why I do the work that I do, and why I think that I live my life the way that I, that I do, and I, and that is because underlying everything, I think there's this wish for connection. There's a wish for transcendence, and that I experience that when there's truth in the room. And when I was growing up, I think 
a lot of people have this experience, at least I can say, you know, I was counting the other day about how many clients I've worked with over the last 20, almost 30 years of, of being in this work. And it was over 12,000 people. Wow. Um, that so much of the distress that we have as human beings is this sense of feeling, not thinking, not just feeling, but thinking, feeling, and experiencing a sense of reality and then and then having that not be met outside of ourselves, like this taste of truth inside of ourselves. And then somehow we have to be nice to people when we're growing up, we were conditioned or are taught very early in our lives that we have to behave in a way that's often very much against how we actually experience ourselves. And I hear so many people talking about how they go through life and they don't feel safe and they don't feel safe because of outer conditions. And I, and I would challenge that saying, no, you don't, you don't feel safe because of inner conditions mm. because you've stopped listening to your own truth and you're looking for it to outside of yourself. Anyway, this, the story that I wanted to tell was of when we were in the improv workshop together and there was a piece that you did about your father and your father's passing. And there was a way that you were so embodied when you did it. I, I, I remember just feeling the whole room as you expressed just so fearlessly in this improv, your love for your father and your absolute grief-stricken expression as he was dying. And you were actually really feeling that when you were doing the piece. And it was improv, so you were doing it, it was coming, you were expressing it in the moment. Mm. There was something so real and transcendent about that. And what I experienced from that was that the whole group of people in that room was unified. We all became, in your experience, of your love for your father connected to whatever that spoke to in each of us. And then we all became so connected to each other. To me, that was an ultimate truth of life as a human being. Mm. And so I always, always felt once I had seen you in that light or experienced you in that light and that capacity for that level of vulnerability and courageousness, if you were going to dip below integrity, that we were going to have to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's beautiful. I will take that in. Yeah. But I think that, yeah, that's the aspect of when you do have a connecting, supportive, safe relationship, the ante comes up, you know, the ante gets higher mm -hmm. of, of wanting more and more truth. Mm -hmm. And with people that are in relationship, they can't get lazy. The confrontation needs to be spoken to when one or the other person is not really living in the integrity of them being in their truth as a human being or the aspect of what is expected of themselves in a relationship mm -hmm. and then collectively what the relationship is, has some expectations. So I think the level that you're just talking about, many people are in relationships, committed relationships, that experience seeing somebody's level of high potential and therefore we got to keep a level of confrontation confronting mm. people's truth and that's not easy to do it in a in a loving a kind a clear and 
eloquent way in many times of, of confronting and not shrink and hide for the fear of conflict uh, spiraling out of control. Well, it's interesting, and I would, I'd be curious as to what you'd say about this, because immediately what came to mind was two things. One was my own relationship with my partner, and this question that I have when I see this in myself of when do I, when did I get to the place in life where I was so afraid, unconsciously, because I slip into these old habits of, I'm not going to be loved, I'm going to be rejected, I'm not going to be seen, I'm not going to get what I need, I'm not going to get what I want. And then so I'm moving from this kind of automatic sense of separation. I'm separated and I'm I'm not in relationship. And the other day, Ariadne and I thought, that's my partner. We were, I can't remember what we were doing. Oh, we were trying to decide where we were going to stay. We had a couple different friends inviting us to stay. Neither one of the places was particularly comfortable for different reasons and each of us were trying to take care of the other one without talking to them about it. And we got into this huge blaming fight. And she, I think what finally happened was that she confronted me. And in that moment, I had to confront myself and just say, you know what, you're right. I totally dissociated in that moment. I was feeling overwhelmed, standing in Biscuit Head restaurant. Oh, can I say Biscuit Head on the podcast? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. They're not a sponsor, oh, so yeah. go ahead and say Biscuit Head, <laughs> and you can talk all, all what you want about them. If they were if they were a sponsor, only talk good about them. But they're not. And he was standing in Biscuit Head feeling like, I really do not want to eat this food, and feeling completely overwhelmed, just kind of split off from myself because I felt like, oh, I have to do this for my partner. Rather than just saying, honey, I am totally dissociated right now. There's too loud. There's too much going on. I actually need to go do something else. Hmm. That's clear. Sometimes the confrontation actually needs to be with myself. Hmm. Yeah. That's so key. I love how you say that confronting ourselves hmm. in a way of taking responsibility and accountability, being able to tell somebody else, you know what? You're, you're right with the suggestions or observations that you're making to go ahead and confront and self-disclose what's going on for us. Mm. And I like to look at it as thinking, what kind of partner do I want to be? If I want to be one that's clear and honest, I have to then confront myself in many of those situations that perhaps my wife or other people that are in close proximity to me in relationships are bringing observations to me that there's probably some truth to it and being able to allow that in, to allow influence and to confront myself, is there some truth in that? That pause before I come back and blame them or come back and feel that pain and want that pain to go away so I'm putting it back on them. So confronting ourselves is so so important. Well, and something that I haven't heard you say that I also would wonder what your thoughts about are, in both of the things that you've said so far, it seems it's that there is a fundamental aim there of putting myself under the influence of what's true. What is the truth in this situation? What is the truth in my relationship with myself? What's the truth in my relationship with this other person? And being willing to sacrifice, for lack of a better word, kind of the likes and dislikes of my personality feeding my identity that I'm creating and really 
try to dive into what is true, what is. Yes. And that confrontation with oneself is what growth is. Mm. And mm. we have to choose, is that what we want? Do mm. we want an authentic life, a truthful life? And confronting ourselves is vital before we can also confront somebody else. And I think that development of knowing what it is that we want and what we want in truth is so vital. You know, I was telling you earlier that I wanted to tell the story of when I confronted my father, mm. that was the one time that I could experience going from perhaps being his son and receiving understandings and teaching to actually give a teaching, to like be the teacher in a mm. confrontation. My parents were divorced when I was 12 and they didn't speak to each other for probably, I think they didn't speak to each other about 15 years, did not speak. I would play baseball and one would sit on one side of the field, the other one would sit on the other and there was no talking, no talking at my high school graduation and some of you can relate to this and it was a burden on me and my sister. They weren't mature enough to work through those issues after their divorce. My mother got remarried pretty much after the divorce, a year or two after the divorce. And my father um, had a very difficult time with that. My sister was getting married when I was 28 and the three of us were having a dinner together out at a restaurant. And my father told my sister that he would not walk down the aisle if Jerry, my stepfather, was walking down the aisle with my mother. It wasn't a request, it was a statement. And it was one of the most ridiculous ones I could hear. What, what does that mean? My mom's not gonna walk down the aisle. So my sister was very upset and she uh, left the restaurant in tears. I remember there was a moment of, I've got to speak my truth. My truth is I wanted to protect my sister, but I also wanted to get at the truth. And I remember this energy came through me and I just mm. looked at him and said, you will be the father that I know that you are. You will not disappoint her on her most precious day. You are gonna stand up and you are gonna be fully in yourself and your power and you're gonna be the higher person and you are gonna shine and be that person, that father that I know you can be. I was direct and I walked out of the restaurant right mm. there. The wedding was about a week later and my father absolutely shined. There was a father and daughter dance and right in the middle of the father daughter dance, my father stopped the dance, went over to my stepfather, Jerry, by the hand took him to share the dance with mm. my sister and halfway through their dance my father came in and cut in and gave my stepfather a kiss on the cheek mm. and they both kissed there were tears galore mm. because people knew what the situation was beforehand i was so proud of my father more than any moment that i can remember of him being rising above it and it was through my confronting him, mm. taking that chance of possibly being rejected by him, him holding a grudge against me, yelling at me, all kinds of things, or doing the opposite, even digging his heels in deeper about it. And the sad thing about the whole situation too, he contracted cancer right after, mm. a year later, and they became friends. They went on trips, my mom and stepdad, and they went on a trip together, and and they were forming this friendship and then he died. Mm. All this wasted years mm. and what could have been. And I think back of if I didn't confront, we may not even have had that experience. So mm. that, that's such a beautiful story really. Mm. 
And it is that proverbial moment of truth. And in that moment where we're reaching beyond our fear and our limited capacity as personalities, our limited capacity for truth, we reach beyond that to something a little bit higher than ourselves, something anchored in, in a principle that something transcendent happens and some force comes through us that allows us to be that representation of the truth in that moment. And then that touches those receptors and the other person, whoever has a receptor for that, and it transformed the entire situation. To know that the truth can take, the relationship can take the truth. Mm. And I think that that's what's vital to know when you're confronting somebody that you're in a relationship with, believe that the relationship can take that truth and deliver it in a way that is aligned with how you want to deliver it. You know, I tell people, you have no control over how somebody receives it. You have all the control of how you send it, to send it in your alignment, whatever that is. Well, and I think that wish has to be there because if you think about it, that usually we're either super passive out of fear or we're super aggressive out of fear. I was thinking about how I worked with the clients that I worked with for so many years and how I had such agency with them. It was that same thing that you talked about in the relationship with your dad and that situation with the wedding is I also had a wish for the truth for myself. When we're in in relationship and we're in a situation, we might have separate opinions, but there's not a separate truth. There's different ideas. There's So there's a place where, yeah, we're, we're individuals, we're different people, and we have different experiences. But there is a truth that unifies our connection and our relationship. And, and so the wish is not just for you to have the truth. It's also for me to receive the truth. Right. And it's that receptivity, I think that allows you, because in that receptivity is love. In that, if that is the bottom line, by all rights, I have to say to you what's true, which means I have to receive that also for myself. You worked with a lot of people in addiction over the years, and, and of course there's a lot of denial that's going on in um, that type of experience that people have. So you had to hold a certain amount of clarity, a certain amount of reality. Yes. And I imagine confronting people when they were squirrely and when they were slippery and confronting them to be back in the truth, to be back in the line or or even confronting them when, you know, the aspect of saying, hey, you were going to show up Thursday and you didn't show up. We made an agreement. Even those aspects of, of, of confrontation, confronting somebody to bring them into truth and bring them closer in in relationship with you? It was a lot of things, Prepo, and a couple of things. There was a story that came to mind when we started this conversation that I, for some reason I never am able to put behind me. And there was one client. I was sitting at my desk and I was so overwhelmed because we had so many clients. And there's, you know, people, there's so much need. People coming in and out of prison, people that are homeless, people that are. You know, we our program was a kind of melting pot of every person from all walks of life. And there were also people with mental health issues. And I'll never forget this one day. I was just 
I was sitting at my desk and I was so completely caught in trying to get my paperwork done. I was the director of the program. I had a particular relationship with the clients. I mean, I used to say like, well, I was a director before I was a director because I had such a determination that people were going to actually benefit. And when I then when I became the director, then it was just like 10 times more work. This guy came to the door and he had been in the program a couple times before and he was really struggling. He said, Angela, do you think that I'm going to make it? And this guy had not, he really wasn't doing anything. He wasn't participating. He wasn't getting any of his assignments done. He wasn't doing any of his job duties. He was just kind of blowing things off. And if I had been a little bit more present, I would have recognized that actually what this, what this kid needed was for me to turn around in my chair and look at him in the face and say, you know what? And just take him from there, like face to face. I was so tired that day. I didn't turn around. I stayed facing my paperwork and I said something to the to the effect of it's been a, it's been a number of years now, so I don't totally remember. But I said something to the effect of, "I don't think there's anything else we can do for you." And I didn't even turn around. And two days later, we heard that this kid had overdosed. He had he had gone out and was found. They called us. He left the the program the next morning. So basically, I signed his blank check to leave. You know, uh, even though you know I don't totally take I don't take responsibility for his decision to walk out that door. I think it was kind of a setup. But I, if I had I turned my chair around, I might have seen that. And anyway, he he essentially killed himself. He just went out, and I think he was using methamphetamine or crack cocaine or something. And just consumed it and consumed and smoked himself to death. And mm. they found him sitting up in front of, I think, the county hospital in the parking lot. You know, he'd had like a massive coronary. And um, yeah, so, that, that hit me very hard. So that stays with you, the knowing that there could have been a moment that you could have confronted in a different way. I I, I think that, um, that, that, that it was a, the negligence of feeling like I was too tired to mm. take the time. Almost like I couldn't, I'd made so many efforts with this person before that I couldn't be bothered, mm. you know? And the truth is, of course, I can be bothered. You know, you hit it on the head just even that. Yeah. A lot of times we don't confront people because we think that we can't be bothered with that. We can't be bothered of the consequences or, you know, the burden of it, the, the challenge of it. Mm. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I definitely, that, that, was, that was very hard for me. Would, would the outcome have been different? I don't know, but my outcome would have been a little bit different. Mm. And again, you know, I, I, I... So your outcome would have been different because the aspect of that you would have been more inside yourself and speaking yes, your truth. Yes, And so yes, you would have yes. been clear with that. Yes, and to turn around and look somebody in the face and say, you know, right. what the hell are you doing? Right. And that's the bottom line. Like what, and this is what I was known for in this program is looking these kids in the face and saying, this is your life. I don't know what you see when you look at yourself in the mirror, but what I see 
is an amazing, valuable human being. And when I look at you, I see value here. And so if you're coming into this program and you're saying you want to change your life, let's meet each other there because I'm going to hold you to that, you know, because I think you can. Hmm. And that was the way I related to my clients, you hmm. know, for, for 20 years. That's how I related to them. That was our beginning. It was hmm. like, I see who you are. I don't know what happened. I don't know what you're running from. I don't know what you're frightened by. I don't know what hurt you. But you can survive all of that and show up for this life because you have something to offer. And if you're coming in here, we're going to make a contract that you're going to find out what that is and offer it. You know, and that was our that was our agreement. So when they started acting out later on, we just I just get back into that eye contact with them and say, "Hey, remember me? Remember mm. remember how we know each other? Mm. You know, because I know you're better than this, you know." Mm. And 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 so how can we support you to get back in touch with that? Because we lose touch. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. That's beautiful. It, that what's coming to me of I know at times Rainbow and I, my wife and I, have done that in some ways of of confronting each other and saying we're better than this. Mm. What we're doing right now, we're better than this. Whether we're in a conflict that's we're marred in blame, or even stagnation, mm. we're better than this. Instead of even confronting the other person we're confronting ourselves in it, in this mm. relationship. Mm. And I like to do that with couples myself is, is to confront them in a way of, are you being the kind of partner that you want to be? Are you being the kind of partner that you want to be? Mm. If both of you are being the kind of per partners that you want to be, you'll be the partner that the other person wants. Mm. So it's like lifting up that That's aspect right. of confronting them, not focusing on, what kind of partner do I want? It's what kind of partner do I want to be? Because that's the influence and control that I have. And if both people are doing it, then they'll be the partners that they want. So I confront people in that level. That's amazing because mm. that, that is true. That's the truth. And so our work is really with ourselves, mm -hmm. you know, at the end of the day. Right. And, then so, and what we can offer each other is support. And if there's something else going on, like if I'm collapsed and I'm collapsing into you to hold me up, well, that building's not going to stand. Right. It can't. Just in principle, it can't stand. So we actually need to, we need to see that mm -hmm. and stop pretending that something else is going on. But I love that part where you talk about confronting somebody with their, with their positive attributes, mm. with what they shine and who they truly are underneath mm. all the bullshit. Mm. And most people confront people for their lack they confront them for their negativity they confront them with not stepping up as opposed to confronting people with not just the expectation but knowing i know that you're better than this i know that we are better than this mm. i see you i've seen you before mm. without doing it for with guilt without doing it with shame but to be able to rise and meet somebody in that level of, of confronting mm. is a way of growth and healing and a mature connection of equal human beings. Mm. And I wish more parents would be able to do that. Also, the way that I see a lot of parents confront their kids is from a, a one-up position and they confront going downwards instead of being able to do a confrontation of we are a family. We bounce off of each other. We rely on each other. Mm. We need to confront each other when we're not living up to the agreements that we're making of being a loving and kind and thoughtful family. 
parents don't understand that that's an agreement to be able to make for, with your child because your child wants to mm-hmm. uphold that if they're given that responsibility. They really want that. Yeah, I, well, I think in the, there's so much recognition and acknowledgement built into that, and that goes, uh, again, back to that whole ability to appreciate and to actually see clearly. Yeah, I don't know. That's such a good question. I, I often ask myself, like, how is it that we get so derailed onto these very diminishing tracks and and uh, negate ourselves and negate each other, negate our partners and our children? And our coworkers. Yeah. We, we, we do that throughout mm. how we do that. And we get in an entanglement instead of a positive experience of confrontation. Mm. I don't know what the definition of the word, but... It's scary. I mean, even when I'm saying confrontation and confronting, it has this energy that is heavy and that's directive and it's kind of cutting through. Mm. But I know some of the times that people have confronted me, but they've done it with clarity. Mm. They've done it with non-judgment. They've done it with also love. Mm. It's such a powerful moment in my life to be confronted with that. Yes, and it's actually got the velocity that's needed to cut through a lot of the delusion because we delude ourselves. You know, we don't want to, we don't want to feel that squirmy discomfort of, you know, I don't always see what we're doing, what we're doing. We want to get what we think we want to get. And that's a whole nother topic right there. But, um, so, and that, that cutting through with that, that light of clarity and truth, it really has got to be based in, in love and the understanding that, Whatever you're doing right now is not who you are. So let's see who you are. And it's a reminder. You know, I love that story you told about about Xander earlier and um, seeing that when you started to appreciate him, you started to confront him with appreciations Hmm. that he met that by stepping up to that plane. Hmm. Yeah, because that's another level of of confronting. I was telling Angela earlier uh, how... I really wanted to step up the aspects of uh, appreciation in our family. And so I would confront him at times of putting the challenge to him of, here, I'm giving you appreciations, and we need to do that all around. We need mm-hmm. to look at how our experiences with each other and name it. When we go out, let's name what we appreciate about what the other one is doing. When you observe mom and I together, Go ahead and confront us positively in appreciations to mm. name that. And so there was a confronting in a way of a level of how I wanted our relationship to be and not be, let's say, lazy in it. And mm. he is very aware and the opposite of lazy when it comes to it right now. He mm. is he has stepped up hugely to that challenge of how we want our relationship to be in a respectful way, a loving way, appreciative way, and then when we give each other more truth, we hear it more because of that that respect. It's really, I think it's so awesome uh, that, you, that you're even in, inviting this conversation because I think we just fall asleep as human beings and that it's kind of our responsibility to challenge each other to stay awake and to not, de- not degrade into this really kind of passive roles of always seeking comfort rather than seeking truth. That's you know? right. Yeah. And in in one of my talks on boundaries, I talked about the importance of differentiation. Mm. In order to be differentiated, we have to have a sense of ourselves and ground ourselves and deal with the uncomfortable and 
another person's anxiety to mm. be able to have boundaries to confront somebody is also a big part to have differentiation because I have to be comfortable with the uncomfortable with the anxiety yes. that, that confronting somebody yes, is going to yes, trigger. Yes, yes. And hand in hand with that, I mean, because we could just sit here and talk all night, of course, but hand in hand with that confrontation, I see it's kind of warped and warp and weft, is that um, ability to be vulnerable. Because to acknowledge and to see, can you imagine if in our government someone was confronted with some atrocity that, of course, they committed, and they actually took responsibility for it and allowed themselves to, to experience some remorse and and to really feel the weight and, and gravity of their behavior, of course you would change it. Of course you would change it in that vulnerability, which we're so against culturally for some reason, I don't understand. But that possibility for opening and receiving happens when I see for myself and when I've had my biggest confrontations with people, they've gone the, the they've gone the best. When I'm on the other side of that, I have that ability to to actually not just be defended, but to receive my own openness and vulnerability. To experience that dropping into that, wow, I I really don't know what happened there, hmm. and I'm really sorry that I did that. And to feel that, it's powerful. It's it's. I guess it's the, that restorative justice. It's that mm. really that dropping into that, that being brave enough to feel. Yeah, that brings to mind of an apology mm. is an aspect of really confronting ourselves and mm. taking full responsibility of our actions and our accountability, mm. having empathy for the other person's experience, being able to ask for restitution. But we have to confront ourselves to feel the mm. remorse mm. in order to give a heartfelt and deep apology. Mm. So, yeah, just put that together. The aspect of really giving a really good apology is really confronting ourselves and our own behavior yes, yes, yes. and to take responsibility for it. And feel it. Because it's funny, when I feel it, I can't really feel it in my thinking brain as long as I'm trying to dance around it or get away from it or justify it, like when I can actually drop in and just accept you in that moment, that was me. And dang, that does not feel good. Hmm. You know, then I, I actually have space to offer myself in a new way because that digesting or experiencing that in that moment takes me to a different place. It's almost like something actually gets digested or or healed. Mm -hmm. And then then that is what I have to offer, mm -hmm. is that understanding, I guess. So you being a somatic therapist also, mm -hmm. you really work with people and of course yourself of, of feeling that uncomfortableness, right? There's a sensation when we're about to confront somebody mm -hmm. that we wanna jump out of our skin. Mm -hmm. We don't wanna be there. It is very uncomfortable. That unknown yes. is very uncomfortable because also we have a huge history probably of confronting people and our parents and so forth and it did not go well at all. So how do you walk people through or help them get comfortable with that uncomfortable, especially let's say if they are wanting or needing to confront somebody on a 
on a very important experience or issue, how do they work with that body sensation? I think the really the most important understanding, and I'm not really sure where I when I arrived at this in my life, but I grew up for a lot of reasons that I won't go into now, not all negative, but feeling very disconnected from myself. And so the somatic work really at some point, and it may, may have, might have been at Esalen because we did quite a bit of somatic mm-hmm. stuff there, of that actually really connecting the dots that this physical body is actually what I experience life with. I can't do it in my brain. I actually am doing it in a physical body. And I had so many moments, I think, at Esalen of really connecting with myself and then also in my practice of Brima, doing the Brima body work, of experiencing myself as as whole. And in that wholeness, not having that, that self-judgment, not having that I don't know if you ever experienced this with clients, but so much of that dance of denial and trying to get away from oneself is that there's underneath, there's this really this sense of self-loathing and mm-hmm. people that just really don't like themselves. And this is what I say because I see that in people. I feel like I used to really have it in myself. And when I see it in other people, I recognize it as this is a person that doesn't know themselves. Like they got to the They got to the basement and then they ran screaming from it and they don't know themselves. And something that I know to be true is in the somatic work, when you actually arrive in a sensation in the body, if you can just stay present with it, without judging it, without trying to manipulate it, it moves. It moves. And it opens. And then you see, oh, that it passes through. And you see that you're not that. When you acknowledge and validate your experience, especially your emotions, your emotions move. They're in the body. Mm. The energy starts to move. In what capacity? It just does, whether it's through tears or shaking or different sensation. Yes. Yes, it yes, actually yes. it actually moves. So I know for me at Esalen, one, and I love that we're talking about Esalen because that was some of the grounding mm. of the foundation of our, our work and becoming therapists. What I also remember was naming what my body was feeling Mm. before I confronted somebody. If I was fearful, instead of naming, I'm afraid to talk to you, I would say, I can notice right now that I have tightness in my chest and my hands are starting to be clammy and I'm tingling right now with coming to you with something that I need to tell you. And so naming that just right off the bat is the microscopic truth. The body knows that truth. So working with the body, just in naming what it is, takes away from the intellect and the head and where Mm -hmm. I wanna go, and it's truthful. So naming the sensation is so important before a confrontation. Well, and and Kaji just kind of blew my mind there because where where you took me was telling the truth, even if it doesn't make me look good, and even if it doesn't make you look good, and I might lose your friendship as a result of it, is a very self-loving act. Now, how I say it to you, I might want to consider, but acknowledging it in myself is a form of self-love because, and not the egoic self-love, but in truth, like really, it's a it's a very self-nurturing act because I, then I, it allows me to take up space and not to have to shrink or contort or pretend or deny or fragment 
it's actually holistic. It's moving towards wholeness. And even if I'm if I'm wrong and I can't acknowledge that I'm wrong or I have to deny that I'm wrong, then I'm saying that whatever I did, whatever that behavior was or that idea or that desire is a bigger truth than than the essence of, of who I am. And how can that be possible? How can that be possible? Something, some desire is is bigger than me, is bigger than my capacity for for being here, for being present, for uh, and we shrink away from ourselves. So that just kind of blew my mind. Yeah, and you name it, you name the sensation. Oh, I'm feeling this, and then I and then I become courageous enough to stay with it. People don't learn this. No, they don't learn that they're not broken. People think that they're broken, and this is the thing I think that keeps me in this field is that I, I meet so many people. I swear, I have worked with every kind of person that you could name. I have worked with them in some capacity. And everybody thinks there's something wrong with them. <laughs> everybody. Yeah. And there's some fundamental brokenness about them. Yeah, they just, just realize that they're a human being, just mm. having a human experience. Yes. And that in itself is what it is. And we end up, like you're saying, label it broken. Mm. This is the conversations that I, I love that I'm having on this podcast. People, I'm sure you're realizing now, I'm not giving a, you know, five ways to confront your partner and just mm -hmm. list them out in a simplistic way. We're having deep, complicated discussions to the essence. So hopefully people will get a really different understanding mm -hmm. through the conversations that I'm having this conversation with you. I just loved where it went. It was authentic. It was true. We didn't rehearse it. And the depth of our friendship and how we bounce off of each other also showed and demonstrated through through the depths of this challenging topic. And I just love that I'm having these kind of confrontations. And hopefully those of you that are listening out there are getting something out of it and not just the surface aspect of, come on, people, just teach me how to confront. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. That's so funny because... This cannot be taught. It's like we really can't teach each other anything. But what we can do is support each other to become increasingly receptive to what we, in truth, already really are mm -hmm. underneath all the nonsense. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's what I appreciate about you is that you're, you still have just such an incredible curiosity and desire to go into the deep inner space, you know, mm. and that that's what your life is about. Yeah. I love this, <laughs> this journey and this exploration. And I love that we got to do this tonight. Yeah. And so thank, thank you. you so much. Yeah. And I don't know, we might have to go downstairs and confront our partners to see if they <laughs> ate that, ate our desserts that that's maybe waiting there for. So thank you. Relationships. Let's Talk About It is a production of HeartShare Counseling and Consulting PC of Asheville, North Carolina. For more on licensed professional counselor Prepo Teplitsky, visit HeartShareCounseling.com. Theme music by Adi the Monk at AdiTheMonk.com. 
This content is intended for informational purposes only, is not a substitute for professional counseling and psychotherapy, medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment, and does not constitute medical or other professional advice. Relationships, Let's Talk About It is produced by PodCraft. Create your own great podcast today, faster and easier at podcraft.us.